Welcome to Urban Foundry. All opinions expressed by Andrew Urban, Paige O'Neill, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Collier's International, Inc. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Collier's International may maintain positions in the properties discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Urban Foundry podcast, your go-to source for urban real estate news and conversations. I'm Andrew Urban. And I'm Paige O'Neill, and we will be your co-hosts as we explore the future of downtown real estate. This This is Urban Urban Foundry. Foundry. Welcome back to Urban Foundry. You have Andrew Urban and Paige O'Neill. Welcome back. And we have a great guest on today from the city of Westerville, Ohio. This is Rachel Ray, Economic Development Director. Rachel, welcome to the Urban Foundry podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Rachel. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you become the Economic Development Director of the City of Westerville? Sure. I am grateful to be in this position. Just celebrated two years with the city this past June. So uh, it's been and it's been a whirlwind coming out of the pandemic, you know, adjusting to what the new world is like. But it's a it's a great community. And I've been learning a lot. Previously, I was at the city of Dublin in the Columbus region as well, kind of the Carmel of Central Ohio, for those of you Hoosier listeners who might be more familiar with that. I started my career there, actually. I went to Ohio State University. I've been undergrad in history and thought I wanted to go to law school. Worked at a law firm in college and soon realized that that was not my career path. So I'm really glad I made that realization before taking on all the uh, <laughs> college <laughs> debt associated with law school. <laughs> but, you know, as you know, many people do, once they take on a liberal arts degree, what I was uh, stuck asking myself, well, what am I going to do with this, right? right? But I'd actually studied the history of the American built environment, how places came to be, That's and heard of the, the field of urban planning. So quickly registered for the city regional planning master's program at Ohio State, and then landed an internship at the city of Dublin. Had the great fortune of graduating right in 2008 during the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> great timing. Mm-hmm. But Dublin was willing to hire me on full time and I needed a job. So it worked out. So I started my career in planning, urban planning for the city of Dublin, and then made the move into economic development in 2015. So I've spent about half my career in planning and half my career in economic development and uh, really enjoy practicing right at the intersection of both of those two professions. Both of them I'm equally passionate about. And as much as people like to talk about how planners and economic developers like to bump heads, (laughs) I think we can be really, really complimentary if, if things go right and you're thoughtful about it. So. Yeah. So then I had the opportunity for some career growth to make the move over to Westerville, another wonderful community in the Columbus region. And uh, it's been no looking back since. Yeah. And and Dublin and Westerville and a few of those nicer suburbs are kind of rivals in a lot of ways, right? (laughs) No, it's it's, it's all friendly. Of of course, friendly competition, right? (laughs) But, you know, there's a little bit of like, you know, right. It's not like Cleveland, right, Andrew? I know you're from uh, Northeast Ohio, but (laughs) yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I always, I always find that interesting, you know, the show Parks and Rec. I mean, my wife worked in economic development for a long time, right? And, yep. and those parallels, you know, the city of Pawnee and Eagleton, <laughs> you know, there's some truth to it, but at the same there time, is. you know, all, all, all boats lift all tides. And just to calibrate mm-hmm. our listeners to kind of give them on a map, Westerville is kind of, yep. 
you know, we'll call it just a tick northeast of downtown Columbus, correct? That's right. Yeah, about a 10 minute to 15 minute drive, maybe the two o'clock position on a clock if you were looking at a clock face. Right. And so you border Worthington and then, you know, you connect to 71 right near Mm -hmm. Polaris. So for people that have driven through Columbus on 270 or 71, right, Polaris is is a huge exit on the north side. And then to your kind of your your east is New Albany, right? That's right. Yeah. Gotcha. And so you're not far. You're kind of actually on the seat near the airport. That's right. Yeah. And that's certainly part of our value proposition as a community. We've got proximity and interchanges adjacent to 71, 270, even 161, say around 161, you know, 10 minutes from the airport. So we're very easy to access. And that's been our strength from a recruitment standpoint, at least from our corporate headquarters, as well as the construction trades, which is another big industry in Westerville as well. But you're absolutely right on the positioning. Yeah. And just to educate our listeners a little bit, just give us an overview of Westerville, some of the key industries, major employers, just so we all kind of get on the same page. Absolutely. Our top employer in Westerville, we are we are a suburban community, uh, primarily office-oriented. Our top employer is J.P. Morgan Chase. They have, I just was on a call this morning, uh, 17,000 employees in the Columbus region. Most of them are employed in the city of Columbus, but their largest presence outside of Columbus is in Westerville. Pre-pandemic, they had about 5,000 employees in Westerville. And post-pandemic, there's it's in flux of it, but they're still our largest employer by income tax revenue, which is wow. our key driver for economic development purposes or metric. That financial services as a result, insurance is a huge industry for mm-hmm. Westerville. And that's I've got some success stories and on the attraction side we can talk about uh, yeah. later on as well. Beyond that, again, I mentioned the corporate presence. And again, we can kind of talk about Westerville's economic development strategy, but we've been hugely successful in attracting, growing, and retaining corporate headquarters. Mm -hmm. We have DHL Supply Chain's North American Headquarters is in Westerville. Hmm. Brand new office building opened in 2019, of course, right before the (laughs) pandemic. (laughs) But they are back in full force. Vertiv, they're in the electric infrastructure and data center space. Their global headquarters is in Westerville. They just added their, their, their main headquarters in addition to the two existing buildings that they already had. So they have a total of a three-building campus in Westerville. That's here. Lancaster Colony Team Arzettis. So mm-hmm, if you right. have the um, you know, the food, yep, yeah. dressing, salad dressings. and I don't think they sell it here in Indiana. I think it's in Ohio. Oh. I don't know why. They, uh, maybe I, it's an Ohio thing. Okay. Well, I don't know if it's Ohio. <laughs> I know it's more regional, but I, I don't know if I've maybe ever seen it. it. I, I don't. I'm also not allowed to grocery shop, Rachel. Just so you know, <laughs> Paige knows this. <laughs> My wife does not allow me to grocery shop because I spend about four hundred dollars and get nothing that we need. Oh my gosh! So. Stay out of the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed to do that either. So yeah. Well, regardless, um, I bet there's probably something in, from your Thanksgiving dinner that has Lancaster Colony Team Marzetti right. uh, involved in it. So pr- food production, uh, food industry, they're, they're, regardless, their headquarters back office is in Westerville. So just a sample. Also, we have strong medical presence. We have our Medical Mile along Cleveland Avenue. Most of the major healthcare systems in Central Ohio have a presence of some sort, whether it's headquarters, like the Central Ohio Primary Care Physicians, the largest independent physician owned primary care practice in the country uh, is headquartered in Westerville. And as a result, again, medical back office and healthcare technology is an emerging industry for Westerville as well. You might, you know, be asking yourself why Westerville, a 
lot of this is owing to the talent. There is a tremendous amount of talented people that live in this part of the Columbus region, in particular, southern Delaware County. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when DHL was, you know, as they always do, looking at where yeah. to grow talents and uh, where their workforce already is and where they're projected to grow was a huge factor in that. Well, and I, one thing that came to mind, and I, I think I'm going to jump into to some hard-hitting questions. I think, Let's do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, amazing industries, right? I knew about J.P. Morgan. I remember, I mean, this is 15, 20 years ago as they started growing their presence there. I used to be in the banking and financial investments sector, right? And so I, I knew about that, and I knew about yeah. Marzetti's, that, that you mentioned that. But I think one question that came to mind, right, and this is something we've been having a lot of conversations about is, you know, with the rise of remote and hybrid work, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Historically, in 2019, you know, you'd be like, wow, this is the envy of a lot of economic developers to have amazing brand names, you know, right. kind of parked in your your neck of the woods. But then what happens when we think about economic development tools and future expansions when there's hybrid and remote work? involved where a lot of those people aren't necessarily in the office X Mm -hmm. days a week driving economic activity. So have you guys, you probably have felt some of that impact, right? As all these big companies are trying to develop hybrid policies, but also forward looking, right? How do you attract more of those? So how are you guys kind of addressing both today, but then also thinking to the future for those new projects coming down the pike? Sure. It's a great question. And we're actually embarking on an economic development strategy update as well. It's it's on the, uh, we're putting the finishing touches on it, but it's to answer those questions. You know, what do we as a suburban community and the booming Columbus region need to do to continue to be successful, recognizing the fact that our commercial real estate, our built environment is office oriented. Our municipal budget is based on having workers working in our community and paying their income. That's in Ohio, we're income tax based, as you know, we have a 2% municipal income tax that funds over 80% of our municipal budget. So of course, as you mentioned, when the pandemic hit and everybody started working remotely, there's that kind of period of time where we, the the governor allowed the income taxes to, to, you know, remain status quo, but then that, uh, that rule was lifted. And so uh, we were all a little bit nervous, but by and large, in particular, as I mentioned, with headquarters uh, types of operations, uh, we're hearing from leadership, um, top managers, that they want their people back in right. the office. Talking with one of the companies, they mentioned you know, looking at patent filings, the number of patents filed during the pandemic when everyone was remote versus when they required everybody to come back in the office, it was a night and day difference. You just don't have the That's collaboration and innovation happening unless people are, are together. I think the difference is recognizing we just have to be more flexible mm-hmm. <laughs> with people recognizing that they have lives outside of work. And if people need to get, you know, take their kids to a doctor's appointment or take a sick day, God forbid, <laughs> that, you know, there's, or, you know, just take, have a head down work remote day. That's just going to be the way of, of the future. Or, you know, maybe they do have a four day work, you know, one day home policy, 
But by and large, they are still taking up space. They still have some presence within our community. And I think that's really going to be the model going forward. Now, there are those companies that are going to be more Mm -hmm. service-oriented, contract, tech-based software developers, those that really, truly can operate from anywhere. And those are the ones that I just don't see that those are really going to be the ones coming back to the office, at least the way they used to. Call centers are another one. Those are just never going to be the way that they were. Well, that's that 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 is true, right? The, some of the commodity type jobs, right, where you're processing Absolutely. paperwork or whatever. I mean, collaboration as a you know quotient, you know, definitely isn't as nearly as mission critical as it is, like you said, with intellectual property creation, mm-hmm. right? IP mm-hmm. in particular. What? So, not to. I know you're still working on the plan. Right. Right. So I'm not but give us the inside scoop. But what's the inside scoop on ways, <laughs> you know, or ideas that maybe have been discussed? Maybe they haven't been formalized yet. On um, you know, what are some of those new tools look like when you know? And Rachel, right? You know, you yeah. get a, a, a project landing on your desk and saying, "Okay, it's a headquarter operation." Historically, you had metrics and and you ran numbers based on okay, a thousand heads for this company X, Y, yeah. and Z, and this much job growth. And usually there was a formula, right, that you kind of spit things out. But with some of these changing how the the back end math is working, what 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 kind of things do you predict that might be changing in the future or new creative ways that uh, economic developers might start addressing some of those questions? Because it's not going to be as firm a commitment to say, hey, I'm going to bring a thousand employees to your city. And they're going to work five days a week and they're going to spend money at all the lunch spots and all right. the neighboring entertainment and fitness centers. It's going to be more, hey, we're going to have a thousand people in, you know, 60% of the time or 50% of the time they're going to be in the office. Right. And so how are you guys starting to think through how do we address that um, going forward? Andrew, I think that's the multi-million dollar question. <laughs> so I'm going to answer that with, an, uh, with another wrinkle and not yeah. an answer. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so in addition to that, I mean, then also factor in the development of or the the advancement of AI and right. things like chat GPT. Uh, you know, what is that going to do? Even to the, you know, knowledge workforce, how is that going to change the dynamic? And that's still, you know, it seems like it's like, oh, that's that's way far in the future and that's never going to, ch- you know, change things. But no. I was playing around with G- chat GPT now too long ago and it's like oh my gosh this is scary smart so (laughs) we use it it a lot (laughs) we use it daily rachel in our our world daily yeah exactly so how's that going to factor into things that's another big question mark too but ultimately as far as what we're doing about it i think one of the best stories and and tools in our toolkit that we can have is to make the office as sticky as possible. So what does that mean? So that means us working with our business community. We have a couple of business districts across town. Westar Place, Westar area is off the Polaris Parkway mm-hmm. 71 area. That's our premier office district, kind of kicked off in around 1998 and still under development. That's where the, the major headquarters are. We've been very proactive. The city's actually acted as master developer for a 62-acre portion of that and been very, very intentional about not only recruiting the businesses, but also recruiting amenities like a Renaissance hotel and conference center that's been top ranked in the world um, and attracting uh, amenities, including restaurants and active types of uses, park systems, path systems, things Mm -hmm. that will set it apart that, you know, recognize the fact that this is a suburban municipality. This is not a central business district. This is not a true mixed use 
you know, sexy, uh, walkable development. This is a, it's a suburban office park, but it has a sense of community, a sense of place and amenities, free parking. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's, and it's easy to get to, and it's close to many of the the workforce that's in Southern Delaware County and Northern Franklin County. So it's those types of things that it helps give the businesses, give their employees a reason to come back to the office and collaborate most days of the week um, in a high quality environment. And we've seen a lot of success, even in the past, since January of last year, January, 2023, we've had almost 250,000 square feet of office space, absorbed in Westerville. That's great. So even post pandemic, you know, we've still everybody talking about the, the, um, (laughs) you know, the death of the the death of the office, you know, and I don't want to, you know, look at that with too rosy of glasses because, you know, certainly there'll be subleases and other things that come up, but by and large, we're not seeing the doom and gloom. And I think a lot of that owes to the fact that Westerville has been so proactive and strategic Mm. And we plan to continue doubling down on attracting those amenities and other uh, reasons to support those office tenants. Yeah. Well, I I think it's interesting you mentioned the proactive piece because I feel that the cities that are getting proactive, rolling up their sleeves, putting together a plan and really thinking about – because the reality is, at least for office-based work – Mm-hmm. You know, the underlying trend is at the end of the day, it's not about a cost per square foot anymore. Right. Right. That's right. It's because it's, it's optional for a lot of companies to have a lot of office space. It's optional. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You don't necessarily need it. And uh, I think there's benefits to having it, of course, but you know, at the end of the day, you have to offer more than just a cheap site to attract, right. right. You have to offer quality of place, activated lifestyle, things of that nature that are going to speak to their employees uh, as much as, you know, the, the transaction itself, you know, matters to the company. Right. That's exactly right. One thing I'm curious too, is, you know, what pressures have you guys seen from a residential standpoint as a result, obviously Westerville, very attractive community, really well positioned in the city of Columbus. Uh, I know it's known for great schools, great quality of life. I'm guessing as a result, there's a pretty high demand for housing. Right. And, right. And so how do you balance those two priorities between commercial and obviously a residential boom that still is continuing? I mean, even the yeah. most recent home construction numbers in June were positive in spite of all sure. the interest rate turmoil yep. out there. So Absolutely. tell me a little bit about how you guys are addressing kind of the the placemaking on the residential side. That's the other million dollar question. I think that was inevitably going to come up at some point here in the conversation. <laughs> I mean, I think when I started my career in economic development, it was all about workforce, you know, in 2015, and now it's all about housing. And especially it's been exacerbated in the Columbus region by the Intel announcement, which I can't believe we made it 25, you know, 20 some minutes into the conversation before (laughs) that came up. But (laughs) um, with uh, the massive $20 billion plus uh, two-chip fab project that was announced in January of 2022. But as a result of that, you know, and because of all the successes in the Columbus region, even before Intel was announced, uh, there's been a housing crunch. And that's what everybody's been talking about is we you know, we're getting to the point where we can't necessarily sustain the pipeline of new people, new workforce to support all the job creation that we've been fortunate to have have uh, received over the past or at least announcements over the past several years. So I think, you know, as the Columbus way is, we'll be successful in figuring out how to work through it. But it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Westerville in particular, we are not build out. We have about two or three hundred you know, acres or so undeveloped. 
but much of that has been in our community plans for many, many years for commercial income tax revenue generating types of uses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's not really a compelling reason to deviate too far from our plans. Where we've been focusing our efforts is finding how to preserve our existing neighborhoods, make sure that there's continuous investment um, because, you know, there will be a lot of attraction for people relocating to the region or new families, you know, to be in existing established neighborhoods, places with that, you know, established sense of place, right? right? But also looking at, you know, trying to find infill opportunities for step-down housing, empty nester housing, that missing middle, um, yeah. to use a planner term <laughs> no, that's true. Um, to put in there. And we've had a couple of uh, projects, smaller projects, go through um, over the past couple of years to kind of try to meet that need and give the existing, you know, legacy property owners in Westerville a place to retire to, step down to, and, you know, create some space for new families. So that's a big part of it, as well as redevelopment. And I think that's an exciting new horizon for Westerville. We're just embarking on the redevelopment game and and true mixed-use vertical redevelopment that could include, you know, that mix of commercial apartments or, or condominium style development. We've got some work to do there, yeah. um, some planning and zoning uh, alignment to be done, right. but that's a big other, another big part of how we're going to try to tackle that need. Yeah. No, that's a, You bring up a good point because, you know, there's that need of balance between, you know, dense density and non-density and then also preserving the heritage of Westerville and right. kind of what people have signed up for when they, they purchase right. their home. How, how have you found the conversations with con- other constituents, your council, mayors, you know, citizens yeah. on that topic, right? Because it seems to be a pretty hot topic in a lot of communities, <laughs> right? Because there's Absolutely. perceptions. But at the same time, I think, you know, on the other end of this is to be successful and to drive the commercial and the other things that people want. Right. You need to have the housing stock available to have the strong workforce to That's attract right. the right companies, right? That's so right. it's That's chicken right. the egg a little bit, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. <laughs> yep. yep. So uh, how have you found that that dialogue going within your community? Yeah, I'll give a lot of credits to our city leadership, both city council as well as our school board, school leadership, and really our residents as well. I think, you know, we've had a lot of conversations with city leadership on the topic of housing and they want to do something about it. They understand that nexus between housing and economic development. The challenge is the complexity of trying to find out how to mitigate it and what the right approach is for Westerville in a community that's increasingly built out, has a standard of quality, public services, public safety, that they're not willing to you know, deviate from. And that's not to say that, you know, adding housing equals less public safety or decrease in quality public services. Not at all. It's more about, you know, how do we do it in a way that that fits our community and is strategic and thoughtful and isn't just sacrificing the land that is available for pure housing needs. We want to make sure that we're building community, that we maintain that public safety. That's priority number one, maintaining those services and working with our neighbors. Again, I mentioned Southern Delaware County. It's primarily, or not not primarily, but extensively residential. There's a lot of residential happening around us. We have a strong employment focus in Westerville and draw a lot from that. So that's, that's also not to, you know, place the burden of providing housing on our neighbors either. We just want to make sure that we're thoughtful and strategic about it. And I mentioned too, you know, we need to look at our planning efforts, our zoning to make sure that we can streamline, um, you know, mixed use and, and residential projects when those are proposed in the right locations. 
Right. So that's a big focus. Right. Yep. And then what about infrastructure? You know, is that Absolutely. part of the plan as well too? Cause you know, I find that that's, that's sometimes is an unseen roadblock, right? If it's not, sure. <laughs> you know, to, to support, you know, different types of uses, different types of services, et cetera. That's a huge part of it, Andrew. And honestly, you know, it's, it's easier to have the conversation around infrastructure when it's focused on economic development yep. because then you can use your tools yep. like tax increment financing to, you know, either front the money or, uh, you know, have a payback model over time or whatever that structure is of the deal. When it comes to a residential neighborhood, you know, those homes need roads yep. and sewers and all of that. How do you how do you fund that necessary infrastructure when all costs are going up like crazy? <laughs> right. um, it, it just doesn't pencil the same way. So those are, you know, the way Ohio is set up. It's just, it's, it's very, very complicated. And, you know, again, I think the, the schools to their credit really understand the value, but, you know, they need to understand just as we do, you know, how all those pieces fit together. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a tricky cause there's part of it's, you got to build it and they will come. Right. right. But then at some right. point, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of have enough in the hopper to justify, right. you know, making, placing the bet down. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> and see, that's the beauty of planning, Andrew. That's, that's right. uh, you know, where I really uh, enjoy occupying that space because it's, it, it's fascinating that usually, you know, we're, we're in this wonderful position to, of being in, you know, responding to so much exciting growth and it's happening so fast. We just, I just don't think anybody really feels like they have enough time to like, okay, let's take a step back and figure out how we plan for this. Right. We kind of have to iteratively figure this out as we go, but using a good planning mindset of, okay, where does it make sense to extend utilities and focus that strategic growth in a way that's going to promote the creation of sense of community and placemaking, which are, is what really everybody wants at the end of the day. Anyways, they want to have great schools for their kids, great parks to, to play in, great restaurants to, to visit and, and things of that nature. And that, that takes thoughtful, again, proactive strategic planning, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. And, you know, you already mentioned the elephant in the room. Yeah, I was going to say, let's go <laughs> the $20 back. $20 billion yeah, elephant, <laughs> the $20 billion elephant. That's a lot That's of zeros, right? right? Three commas. Uh-huh. <laughs> and for anybody that is in commercial real estate or economic development that's been living under a rock, obviously Intel. Like me. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so then I just Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw myself under the bus. That's all right. That's, I don't want to get, I don't want to toss my co-host under the bus here. Um, but, you know, Intel's obviously been building, I, I think, I, I mean, correct me if I, I'm wrong, Rachel, but it's probably the m- largest chip manufacturing facility in North America that's been built ever, right? That's right. That's and that's right. to your neighbor in New Albany, which right. to our listeners that don't know, I know a little bit of the history. Rachel, you probably can, mm-hmm. can kick my butt on it, but essentially it's it's the community. Um, I, I always say Lex Wexner from the That's limited exactly brands right. is really yeah. kind of the, the founding father of new yep. Albany, if, if, if you will. Yep. And it's, it's a very nice community. Uh, just like Westerville is a very nice community. I would say historically it's been a little more, um, estate like in my opinion, yeah. it just, yep. is You're that the target. correct characterization? Yep. <laughs> and obviously the, they, 
you know, I'm sure it was a heck of a battle. I'm sure there's a book to be written on how the deal was won in Ohio. And <laughs> I, I can only imagine the cajoling and politics at the governorship level, because I know a lot of states were in the running for this. And Ohio oh, yeah, beat absolutely. them all out. And New <laughs> Albany was the place. And to a lot of people, at least regionally in commercial real estate, we were all kind of curious because New Albany, although a nice community, like I said, it was more estate-like and for a mm-hmm. big manufacturing facility. Now it's chips, right? So it's high right. tech, That's it's right. very sexy. Uh, to go there was kind of curious because, you know, if you know a little bit about that area, you know, it's 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 not a huge manufacturing history, right? Mm-hmm. Necessarily. Mm-hmm. Great community, but more of a bedroom style kind of place. So right. tell me, they're your neighbors, obviously a win for the region, lifts yeah. all boats to some extent. But yep. Walk us through a little bit, maybe a, a behind the curtain, or at least the economic development scuttlebutt around that, and <laughs> kind of what you see that as an opportunity for Westerville going forward. That's a fair question, and um, it's it certainly deserves a podcast of its own. <laughs> just uh, my two cents there, but uh, it's a, it's incredibly exciting, and it, it literally comes up, you know, multiple times a day, and it's something that that's top of mind. Um, you know, we'll give New Albany and um, the. New Albany Company, who's um, kind of their private development partnership. That's that's a big part of you know how that deal got done. Um, again, I'll, I'll let them wander through the specifics of that, but it's an interest. It's a really interesting model. Um, they had, I think, as a community, again being Central Ohio, being very uh, well, being income tax base focused, um, they had been very proactive on um, developing their. Um, corporate tax base, and they did have uh, kind of an, an industrial uh, park out there as well. They called it the Beauty Park. Again, they can they can go into more specifics on that. So they, it was in their wheelhouse to go after some some larger footprints, kind of these you know dance manufacturing types of of projects. And they had the so, limited yeah. brands, right? So right. Victoria's Secret, yes. you know. Page fashion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Say no more. Abercrombie and Fitch. Remember That's Abercrombie? Right. Yep. It's still oh, around. Yeah. You know, right? That's right. That's having right. a resurgence, actually. It is. It's kind of having <laughs> yeah. a bit of a renaissance. It is. It's not it's as sexualized as it was when we were all in our primes. Yes. Um, That's right. No one wants to see me with my shirt off at the front. It would definitely steer oh, away yeah. business. Catalogs. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Um, <laughs> So they yeah, had no, some, it, right? But it was, right. you know, obviously yeah. landing a $20 billion chip manufacturing, yeah. you know, with the president making the announcement is a big deal. That doesn't happen every day yeah, in economic development, sure. no matter where you live. So For sure. And it really overnight uh, kicked off the the growth of a new industry for Central Ohio, that being semiconductor. So I think we're all still trying to figure out what that means. I mean, that's a level of uh, technology that really still boggles my mind. But uh, so right now, they're the region. I think the state is really focused on building out and, and attracting their tier one supplier network, many of whom will need larger sites, industrial sites as well. And there's a ton of that. That's really, really driven the industrial, heavy industrial uh, site development in, you know, sector in Licking County, which is where that mm. uh, the county to the east of us where that's located. So that's really been booming. Westerville being of, you know, about uh, 10 miles, 15 minute drive as the crow flies. Yeah. We're, we're really in what we like to call the impact zone there. So yeah. we know that many employees will live in our community because it's adjacent sense of place close by established neighborhood 
neighborhood. So, so they'll be here. And then I mentioned we've got about 300 acres scattered throughout the city undeveloped. Some of those sites are well, very well suited for advanced manufacturing. So again, it may not be the supplier, but it could be the customers that want to be close to to the Intel plant. And, you know, maybe they're doing sensor technology or things along those lines that would be really well suited, not only to the talented workforce that's here, but also the talent machine that is Ohio State University that's right. just 15 minutes down the road from us as well. So again, getting back to our, the earlier point that was made, we're in a really good strategic location uh, from the roadway network to the Intel plant location to Ohio State and parts in between. Right. And certainly your guys' proximity, you know, naturally, and, and obviously the transportation assets, I think bode you guys really well to capture, you know, all the people, they got to live somewhere, right? At the end That's of right. the day, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they got to spend their hard-earned dollars somewhere. And, and obviously you guys have in great proximity, both the airport as well as, I mean, you think about some of the assets, you know, nearby, mm-hmm. you guys yep. offer really good central proximity. So I'm sure there's going to be coming wave of, uh, a lot of developments that you guys are going to have to wade through and figure out and prioritize right. in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting. And, you know, that's all the more reason why, again, going back to planning, understanding, again, what our value proposition is, what makes sense from a targeted industry standpoint, what types of real estate we need to promote, what types of amenities we need for our community and the, the businesses uh, that are here or that are coming that we want to attract. And again, from an infrastructure standpoint, um, how do we make sure that we can support all of it? But unquestionably, you know, from a you know, retail side and, and disposable incomes, uh, we're really excited about, you know, what that opportunity might be as well. Um, haven't talked about it yet, but we have an amazing historic uptown, uh, very well-preserved, lots and lots of private investments over the past 10, 15 years um, with matching uh, public grant funding to help restore some really amazing uh, historic structures in our community to be able to house some great shops, local shops, local restaurants, uh, all of that. And again, that really goes to that sense of place. You know, Uptown is what we like to call the the jewel of Westerville. Um, and it's, you know, we have the, the thriving business districts as well as this amazing uh, historic core, um, really anchored by Otterbein University. We're yeah, I was about University to say. Yeah. So, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, Otterbein's um, there as well. That's right. Right, so you got a good mix of, of college, of kind of historic downtown, you know, right? So you got an yep. interesting, nice little base. One question I was thinking about, and this is really coming from my perspective as a originally, you know, grow, grew up in Ohio. Yeah. Um, obviously in the city to the north up on the lake. <laughs> um, you know, growing up, I, I always, you know, as a kid, and this is, you know, 30 plus years ago, it was, you know, Columbus was kind of a sleepy state capital, in my opinion, right? right? A lot of the uh, activity kind of was kind of polar in Ohio between Cleveland kind of being heavy industrial, right. right, on the lake, right? And then you had Cincinnati, which has its own industrial history on mm-hmm. Ohio River. Mm-hmm. And Columbus was just kind of somewhere you pass through, and that's where state senators and the governor kind of lived. That's right. right. And in 30 years, largely – that whole dynamic's been completely flipped and Columbus yeah. has grown. And so f- from your perspective, right, having kind of s- some good roots in central Ohio, mm-hmm. what do you think's been, you know, just Westerville and then kind of the region itself, what is what has helped drive that growth in your opinion? Because I do think like, 
you can't have just one thriving city and then the rest of them suffer, right? Everyone's got to kind of yeah. you know, be in the yeah. same boat. So what do you think, you know, has kind of driven the Columbus story over the last 25 years? And the answer can't be the Ohio State University. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paige. I'm like, on. I know it's going to be said, but. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I know I'm a Buckeye through and through, born and raised here, went to Ohio State. You know, I'm going to put my history majors hat on yeah, and uh, try, try to try to think through or theorize a, a response <laughs> to that. It, you know, I think uh, there are lots and lots of things. And of course, if you'll ask, you know, some of the, the regional and, and state economic developer colleagues of mine, they'll talk about the Columbus way and, you know, the, the culture down here is very different from what I understand from, you know, uh, other parts of the state and either, even other parts of the country as well. We are collaborative. We do get along well with our neighbors um, and we do really, truly buy into the idea that rising tides raise all ships. So I think that's, that's part of it. You know, I think in 20, going on perhaps 25 years ago, Columbus City of really got aggressive on downtown redevelopment, mm-hmm. urban redevelopment, mixed use. The short north is nationally recognized as a great place. Tons and tons of development activity in that area along our high street. So that's really raised its profile just as a place to, you know, uh, visit and, and patronize. You know, getting the Columbus crew and the Columbus Blue Jackets, getting pro sports in addition to the Buckeyes, which is might as well be our pro sport here in <laughs> <Yeah>. Ohio. <laughs> um, you know, there are, there are those types of cultural things. But one of the other things that I think also had to do with it, too, is, you know, during the recession, Columbus is so diversified in its industries that uh, we didn't have the major, major hit that other communities who are heavy on any one given industry are. So because we're the state of, of government, uh, the, the seat of, of government, state government here, um, our industries are diversified. That was able to help us ride the, the wave of the recession coming out of that and then supercharge that over the past, you know, 10 plus years and kind of navigate this new era of success for the Columbus region. And during that time for Westerville as at a microcosm, right. you know, we were were situated just uh, straddling the county line between Franklin, where the state yeah. capital is county, and Delaware County, which is the fastest growing, I think, wealthiest county in the state of Ohio. And we in the late 90s had an opportunity to make a decision between are we going to continue to be a bedroom community? Or are we going to make a conscious decision to annex in almost a thousand acres and be proactive on pursuing economic development for this land versus allowing it to develop as just more sprawling neighborhoods? Um, and that's been a big part of our story ever since. And that's where DHL and Vertive and Marzetti now call their home. All of that could have been houses, and our economic development story would have been written very, very differently uh, had that had our city leaders not made a different choice back in the in the late nineties. <laughs> right, right. Well, it took some foresight, and that's right. You know, and and the interesting thing, in in my opinion, about the Columbus region is, you know, the infrastructure is the layout is very similar to Indianapolis. Now, sure. the key distinct difference is Indianapolis in the 70s went to a unig or the 80s was a Unigov model. Okay. Which, yeah, yeah. Which, and it, Paige is looking at me because well, he looked really, at me like I would know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Sounds great. <laughs> the, reason, the reason this is all interesting to me, and I've always kind of quasi had this like little 
ongoing study project is because in high school, obviously grew up in the Cleveland area. I went to a, one of the all boys schools up there on the oh, West sure. side. And I wrote a paper in AP us history writing that basically that Cleveland, because it, it was so segmented between small villages and boroughs and townships and this, the Cuyahoga County has, I can't remember, but it's some ridiculous amount of individual seats of government within mm-hmm. the county. Now, mm-hmm. Franklin County does have a number of cities within it, right? So That's I'm not right. going to discount yeah. that and say it's right. a true Unigov, but it has a dramatically less than Cleveland and Cincinnati do. And Indianapolis went to a Unigov model and annexed almost all the cities and villages within what would be considered like Franklin County, which is okay. called Marion That's County here, in the late ah. 70s, early 80s, and went to a Unigov model. And I've always thought one of Columbus's strengths was the fact that there wasn't as many competing mayors and townships and villages as some of the other older cities that historically have had, you know, in Cleveland, I think of the East side where I grew up, you have Cleveland and then you have East Cleveland, you have Cleveland Heights, you have, you know, let's see, Euclid, South Euclid, Wycliffe, mm-hmm. all, you know, and just like boom, boom, boom. And these are towns yeah. that some of them are two miles by two miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have their own yeah. police force. They have their own yeah. city council. They have their own zoning. They have their own yeah. everything. And what it does is it makes it really hard to put together a cohesive plan because you have all these competing interests, right? Sure. And sure. I've always felt Columbus in general, even as a region, isn't nearly as segmented. And then you also have the benefit of relatively outside of some rivers and some reservoirs, fairly right. you know, t- uh, homogenous terrain that you yep. weren't jamming things up against a river or jamming things mm-hmm. up against the lake and then trying to mm-hmm. figure it all out. That's right. And so I'm curious, kind of your thoughts, maybe a little more wonky, if you will, yeah. Yeah, on yeah, some yeah. of those structural things that maybe have played out as an advantage for Columbus as a region. Yeah, that, that's a great question, too. And it sounds very similar to kind of questions I was asking, you know, as part of my history degree, studying the built environment, how places came to be. That's that's yeah. exactly kind of where my mind would always go to as well. Um, again, you know, because I was born and raised here and I, I just don't have the, the perspective that you have, Andrew, yeah. of having grown up one place and seeing, living another um, but I think you're, I think you're onto something. I think, you know, our, all the suburbs around uh, central Ohio are, you know, they do have their own separate services, but right. uh, just from a cultural standpoint though, I think, you know, I, I just don't know if it's quite as, I don't want to say, Stark a, a, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if territorial is almost the wrong word. And, you know, there, there are certainly rivalries, but, you know, I think because as the seat of government uh, with Ohio State University being here, we just have so many people that, come to the Columbus region that are from parts elsewhere yes. that uh, we're, we're just used to as, as a culture, having a lot of diverse perspectives and a collaborative approach to, again, you know, politics of modern era aside, you know, compared to the way things used to be, as I understand it, you know, just a collaborative approach to, to doing things from public services and amenities to, you know, the, the interstate uh, highway system around town and, and all of these types of things that um, I think that's that's part of it. I think it, I think it's cultural, and I think a lot of people recognize that. There's a lot of people that I know that will talk about relocating to Columbus, regardless of which neighborhood they live in. That just talk about how it just it just feels good to hear. It's a good place to live, to raise a family, to connect with people. 
I think it's I think it's something something cultural. I wish I could get more uh, more wonky about it, but <laughs> there's, it, <laughs> there's got to be there. Uh, you know, I don't think enough has been done to study Columbus because I find it yeah. curious. Right, Ohio is an interesting place if you know U.S. Yeah, history, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and poor Paige here, she's gonna <laughs> so, <laughs> shameless plug. I was one class short of a U.S. history minor at Ohio University. Yeah, between you two, history was not my strong point. Yeah, this is this is, <laughs> this is getting into the okay. Theories, we're nerding out together. Right? Nerding That's all right. Um, and I think it's interesting, just because Columbus is the state capital. Ohio right. is a unique place because you have three fairly large sized cities That's right. that are spread out. Pretty diverse geography, pretty diverse right. topography, even cultural dialects are different, yeah. right? Um, yeah, yeah. Accents are different throughout the state. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Columbus, and this is from my experience at undergrad Ohio University, you mm-hmm. know, I was in a fraternity there mm-hmm. and you have people from the Cleveland area, from Pittsburgh, from Columbus and Cincinnati primarily. Yep. And so we had all those different cosms and cliques within our fraternity. Mm-hmm. What was always interesting to me about the Columbus people was, you know, obviously Ohio State football reigns supreme in the state of Ohio, <laughs> Of course. Right? Buckeyes <laughs> reign supreme. Yeah. But what was interesting is like professional sports affiliations and how diverse yeah. in the city of Columbus, if they're from Columbus, it was like, there was like almost an even split. And mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting to me that that cultural mindset maybe is just more inclusive and more accepting. Yeah. As a result, because it was a state capital where you'd have people historically come from throughout the state, and and maybe there's something there that's hard to describe. And I think Indianapolis, having a similar position, that's why there's so Mm -hmm. many similar parallels between the two cities. I think you're probably right. Topography is similar. The way the highway infrastructure was laid out is very similar. And even the people, I think, to some degree are very similar. It's very common to have people from all parts of Indiana in Indianapolis. And I think Columbus has become kind of this central melting pot for a lot yeah. of people as mm-hmm. well too, from, from Ohio because of the opportunities Absolutely. that are, that are there. I know a lot of young people who are moving young, I mean, younger than me, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> who are moving to Columbus post school and cause it's a cool city. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, let's say what they will about cost of living. It's still cheaper than places like, you know, Austin and Nashville and other other markets that we, you know, compete against for for some of the, the younger uh, demographic, for sure. I know several, you know, anecdotally uh, family friends that have, you know, moved out there to whether it's Austin or elsewhere to have, you know, a good time, but then realize it's, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. And from a cultural standpoint, you know, it's just harder to make those connections, and Ohio just—it um, really benefits from that, uh, from from exactly what you've what you've described, Andrew. Yeah, well, and you got some of the best high school football in the country. It's not <laughs> oh enough. lord, it's not said right. enough. It's not said <laughs> yeah. enough. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it, and obviously, you know, great college football traditions as well in the state. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, it's ju- it's almost July page in my house. <laughs> July, we start itching for football. We do. My wife is even no. on board with it now. Somehow I converted her to be a Browns fan. I don't Somehow. Know how I oh my that. gosh. Yeah. And you picked that one. No, I'm kidding. Well, yeah. <laughs> you don't pick a, being a Browns fan. You're, you're born, born into it. it. Right. Yeah, you don't yeah, have you're any choice in that misery. Or marry into it. That's yeah, right. That's right. That's well, right. you know what? I'll tell you though, with, with the Ohio State Network, um, it is so broad and so vast. So when it comes to business attraction, it is, you know, being able to connect with another Buckeye or, or someone that has a Ohio connection um, actually goes a long 
way. I've been to various conferences and, and, you know, conventions to promote Ohio, promote Westerville. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, Ohio. Yeah, my cousin lives there. Yeah, I actually went to school at Ohio State or whatever it may be. Everybody has an Ohio connection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it comes to economic development and real commercial real estate, too, as you know, it's such a relationship business. And if you can find that thing to establish Mm -hmm. some common ground to start the conversation, you got to take it and run with it. So um, I'm going to leverage that for all it's worth, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Rachel, one other question I had before we get into the question we ask all of our our guests. Um, What do you think is the biggest challenge Westerville is going to face? kind of going forward? Obviously, a lot of change, like you said, AI, work from home, remote work, some of these big kind of challenges that are hard to kind of pin down. What what are other things that kind of are keeping your team and the city up at night as you think about the future? Ooh, great question. You know, I think I mentioned earlier, we're getting increasingly into redevelopment. Um, that's not rocket science. I think you know, there are plenty of communities that are doing that. It's just culturally, it's different for Westerville. Um, it's more complicated. It's more expensive. So do we need to adapt our set of tools and our economic development and planning toolkits to better facilitate and enable mixed-use redevelopment? That's definitely something that's that's top of mind for us. You know, understanding what the industries of the future are, those that are coming with Intel Semiconductor, as well as life sciences. That's another big and growing one in the Columbus region. Uh, Again, what types of commercial real estate and other infrastructure uh, will those types of businesses need? And does that make sense for Westerville? Um, Electric vehicle and and clean energy, that's a big one, too. One thing we didn't talk about, but I have to plug, uh, Westerville has its own electric division. Um, We're the only community suburb in the Columbus region that has that. So we don't generate power, but we purchase purchase it and distribute it. So um, yeah, yeah. So we've had our own uh, municipal electric division since 1898. And it's really exciting for us because we can do some pretty creative things around incentives for electric vehicle charging stations. Oh. A lot of our businesses are interested in that just with yeah. the growth of these. Being able to tell your employees that you've got maybe free EV charging. Yeah. That's a, that's a selling point for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, um, I, I joke that and then different lead certifications on buildings yep, 10, 15 yep. years ago yep. didn't matter or it was like, yep. Oh, it'd be nice to have, but whatever. Now it's, it's a big selling point for yeah. a location or buildings. Right. And and sure. you guys have some beautiful class A headquarters yep. right up near Polaris. Right. I know that yep. market, yep. but there's also some really nice ones on the other side of 71. <laughs> That's right. Right. It's a differentiator. Right. And it's, it can be a differentiator when they're between two really nice buildings and they go, okay, one has EV charging, one has a sustainability certification and the other doesn't. And that's becoming a decision point because guess what, whether, whatever, whatever you believe about why the climate's warming or this or that investors and companies are demanding that you have to do, you have to put your money where your mouth is more. That's right. ESG is important for sure. And and particularly for international businesses as well. I've had some conversations with international companies who, who, whose ears perk up. They say either they want to be in a lead certified building. If I say, Oh, I don't have that, but we have, or if, you know, the, the building that they're looking at isn't certified, but we have, we also have a program called business wise. That is actual cash incentives for, energy efficiency improvements. So if you put in better light fixtures, appliances, machinery, whatever it is, it's going to decrease your energy consumption. We have, we can 
contribute a cash incentive for that. Um, there's a whole process. It's not too ex- excessive, but um, again, it's just it's just the value add. It's the and that's part of the Westerville story. That again, exactly to your point, businesses are increasingly thinking about it, whether it's from a bottom line standpoint or from a brand alignment and corporate culture standpoint. It's important. Yeah, it is. All right, Rachel. Yeah. So we, yes. didn't, we didn't prepare you with these questions just for the audience. Uh, we always ask certain kind of just, and you can answer these in any which way you want, right? There's no right or wrong answer, but we okay. like to get to know our guests in a, yeah. in a more intimate way. And so what is one show that you're obsessed with streaming right now? It can be on any platform, <laughs> but what are you binge watching? Okay, so we just finished watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel mm-hmm. uh, on okay. Amazon, I think. Yeah. The, yeah, okay. So four or five seasons and it just ended. And I loved that show. It was just so funny and it kind of reminded me of, of Mad Men, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, comedy it just, it was so witty and such a good show. So that one. And then we're also in the final season of Succession. I think uh-huh. we're episodes in. So that's, uh, those are the two current ones. I feel like we're kind of finishing up a bunch of shows and I'm not sure what's, what's up next that I can, you know, put into the queue. That's a, that's a good show. So <laughs> no, I'm, I'm also currently binging succession. Okay. All right. So you get it. I, I get to hold it. my tongue. Cause I'm done with it. I know. Andrew's I know. I'm in season three. So I'm we're like, like somebody to talk you're to. You're like, can this. you get there already? <laughs> no spoilers. I know. <laughs> so uh, what, what from a book or a podcast recently oh, yeah. that's had a big impact on you and it doesn't have to be business. It can be anything. And you, oh, it can yeah. be this podcast. Can be, you can oh. say that. <laughs> Shameless <laughs> plug my page. <laughs> but you know, something that you found really insightful or just something you had to share with somebody. Didn't matter yeah. who it was. Oh man, Andrew, I think we talked about this before. I'm yeah. I'm a real bookworm. I I'm constantly listening to podcasts or uh, audiobooks and I've uh, got like dozens of books going at, uh, at a given time. So the hard part is narrowing it yeah. down. So I think one of the best fiction books that I read or listened to recently was Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. It's kind mm. of based off of um uh, David Copperfield by, like I said, Charles Dickens, um, but instead of being sent in, set in Victorian London, it's um, Appalachia, kind of around 2000. It was really, really good. The audiobook was really well performed. So it just was one of those books that kind of sucked you in if you're a fiction reader. But on the kind of personal development or just really insightful to your question, a book I read earlier this year, listened to, is called Awe by Dacher Keltner. And it's about the science of everyday wonder and how it can transform your life. I think that's what it was, uh, the subtitle is. But um, I really was fascinated by the topic because, you know, being in public service and what we do, you can very easily get kind of bogged down into the details and, you know, focus on the negative, but keeping yourself (laughs) humble (laughs) and thinking about, you know, the purpose behind what you do. And I mean, you get to be involved in some really crazy, cool industries and projects and things that, you know, people take for granted when they're experiencing a fourth Friday event in uptown or going to work every day, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of thoughtful time and effort and just appreciating that and feeling that sense of awe. Um, it really inspires me and keeps me humble and drives what I do every day. That's awesome. I love that. Are That's you going to share your, recommend. your history <laughs> book? Because we have a which history book. book. Which, which one I'm reading right now? The Dirt Dust Bowl. Yeah, the Dust Bowl one is tremendous. It's by <laughs> Timothy Egan. He, okay. He's a Pulitzer Prize nominee okay. multiple times. It's called The Worst Hard Time. The Worst Hard Time. Okay. It's really well written. It's, it's kind of fictionalized nonfiction. 
Yeah. And so what got me onto this author, I go in these crazy spurts and <laughs> I read a book t- three weeks ago by him called Fever in the Heartland. Okay. So Fever in the Heartland is about the history of the KKK in particular okay. focusing on Indiana. Okay. Which, which was, I'm not from Indiana, so I don't right, right. You know, know, like I'm still like learning like state history here. And so that got me really interesting. It was really fascinating because it, it was focused on Indianapolis. They actually, the Klan headquarters at one time page was in Irvington, the neighborhood mm. of Irvington mm-hmm. and the house still exists. You can go drive by it. And it's a fascinating history, how the Klan basically almost essentially elected the next president in the 1920s. They got very close. Fascinating. So then there was another book suggested to me in my Kindle called The Worst Hard Time. And, uh, you know, like I said, history, history guy, just like you're a history person as well. Uh And I felt like the Dust Bowl, at least in most history, even and I have an economics, you know, undergrad, it's kind of glossed over. So yeah, I didn't know much about sure. it beyond, okay, the grapes of wrath's written about it. And there was a bunch yeah. of dust and <laughs> these farmers, <laughs> right? And I was just like, oh, but I was interested because I really like this author. So I read it. I finished it last night. And it is, if you think COVID and any sort of economic catastrophe that we're going through right now is bad, uh-huh. read this book. And kind of like you said, the awe, the perspective go, oh, it's not that bad. Like, it's not that bad at all. He hasn't stopped talking about this book in three weeks. A hundred million acres in the Central Plains are basically arid now. That's insane. And it's a a fascinating story of boom and bust of Mm -hmm. the wheat business in the 1910s and into the 20s. So it's a fascinating book on multiple levels just Mm -hmm. because it talks about American hubris. Yeah. And I find that a fascinating topic and I find studying booms and busts in general, because I'm an economics, quantitative economics guy. Like I I love to study how markets work and how you make markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to study booms and busts and kind of like, when is the market overheated? How did government impact this? How did all this? So I I don't know. I think it's, you might find it really interesting. I just put it on my hold list um, for the, for the library for audiobooks. So I'll I'll report back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, well, let me know when you want to start your book podcast. And all <laughs> we'll, we'll go I, I would. I think that would be a good pot. Is that the next one? Page I will for not be. A, I will not be a co-host on that one. Page, you'll have to get your own podcast though. You're going to spin off at some point. <laughs> okay. So. All right. Um, so, I'm in. So, Rachel, how can people find out about opportunities about in the city of Westerville, et cetera? Your guys' website, LinkedIn. What's the best way yeah. that somebody can reach out to you if they have interest in investing in the community or learning more? Yeah, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Rachel Ray. Not the chef. I don't cook. Come up <laughs> at some point. Just going to put that out there. there um, find me on LinkedIn or business.westerville.org. You can also find us there. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you, Rachel. We really appreciate your time. Loved having you as a guest. And thank you for being a listener at Urban Foundry. As always, you know, Rachel Ray, Economic Development Director of Westerville. Thank you to all the Urban Foundry listeners. If you have any questions on this episode or other episodes, please feel free to reach out to Paige and I. Have a great day. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like or follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Urban Foundry Podcast.